require personalized programming, we have our team of Red Pill coaches available to help you with your performance needs, regardless of your competitive level. Please get in touch at redpilltraining.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Joust. Good morning, Philip. What's the news, buddy? The news? What's the news? Brexit's still not sorted. No. Is, is, that, is that what the news is? I don't know. Probably. Okay. Yeah. That, that's all that seems to be on the news. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we should do this podcast on that. Neither do I. Um, we, we because have, we, we don't... Yeah, we don't need to go there. No, 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 no. You were going to say because we don't agree, weren't you? I wasn't going to say we don't agree. I'm just going to say I don't think people really want to listen to us talk about that. No, no. Yeah, but we could talk about it. I've got a lot. I've got an opinion about it. It's not like you to have an opinion, mate. It isn't like me to have an opinion, is it? <laughs> it's easy when you're always right, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, what, which, where are we now in the series? Is this number eight or number nine? How are we doing? Numero. You're going to have to finish this off now. Now you've started in Spanish. I mean, you, it, we're not over 10, so I'm hoping you will be able to finish it off. Nueve. Who's he? Don't know. Ocho, nueve, diez. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure they've got quite the same accent as you. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. Why did you say uh, five twice? Because uh, that was a song. Ah, so you're doing Ricky Martin impressions now. No, I don't think it was Ricky Martin. Was he not Ricky Martin? We can talk about Ricky Martin. Legend. Top man. The original Snake Hips. Yeah. Yeah. Followed by Usher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, I mean, yeah. I don't know if he was the original Snake Hips, was no, it? No, he probably wasn't. I think there's probably a few people that have danced salsa prior to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're talking about culture in sport. Yeah. And I'm not sure what number of the series this is, but it's that one. It's the one you're listening to. Number nine? It could be. It could be. I feel like it's nine. A uh, bit more of a light-hearted uh, podcast this week. A little bit more of a... Culture is not light-hearted, mate. It isn't. Oh, that's why you brought Brexit up. I've just just got it. Oh, you're not that smart, are you? Oh, no, Brexit, and then I started speaking in Spanish as well. So it's, it's just like... Ahead of the game, mate. Uh, so, so, so Multicultural. So as long as it has some kind of foreign connotation and political connotation, it's cultural. Today is. Today is. Okay. Good. So we're talking about culture within sport. Light-hearted, few stories perhaps along the road. Um, someone told us this weekend that they enjoyed the stories quite a bit in the podcast. I think he was lying. I think he was after a free T-shirt. He might just be talking about other stories as well, he, not ours. Well, we, the just conversation just likes stories. The conversation was based around our podcast whilst he was... Um, Stating that he enjoyed the stories, yeah, but, but yeah, no direct link was made. So <laughs> could could have just been being polite, really. Yeah, um, we don't tell stories, do we? <laughs> I think 
what in I think uh, my retirement project I've said this many, many times, and my retirement project is to write a book on culture in sport. I think it's one of the it's one of the things that fascinates me the most. It's one of the most interesting things, and I think I just want to perhaps define what we're talking about when we talk about culture in sport for the listeners, and then we'll start with some stories and some. And it is we haven't really got a script for this, but we haven't really planned a lot. We're, we're just going to have a sort of little talk about some anecdotal stories and some funny stuff that happens within different sports. And between the two of us, we've got some we've got some good good stories through sport. Um, but what I find very interesting is the that one sport proves you can do it, one sport says you can't do it. Um, and you have these sort of rules or even dress codes. I think the, the funniest thing for me with culture in sport is that every single sport thinks they look good in their kit and no one looks good in gym kit. <laughs> like, I've never seen any, no, I've never seen anybody looking good, hammered in sweat, dribble down their chin, <laughs> potentially uh, urine in their shorts because they've squeezed a little hard at some point. <laughs> <laughs> details, mate. Yeah. All about details. You know, um, and it doesn't matter what sport we're in. You you have this sort of, the guys, it is, and then tell you what thing, I'm going I'm to give the guys a bit of a bad rep. The guys are worse for it than the girls in this, that the, the guys think they look good. Like, have you ever seen, like, whoever thought board shorts, no shirt, and long shorts lifting weights looks good or tightly clad lycra on a bike like or a triathlon suit but they in fairness that has function to them so the cyclist I'm not I'm not a cyclist but like the lycra has a function it does have a function it's the running in lycra that's a bit weird do you remember that time I came out to Denmark and you were the only one with three pairs of shorts on <laughs> two pairs of shorts <laughs> it was freezing when was it was it winter it there was snow outside wasn't there yeah there often is in the winter yeah yeah but, um, and the wrong club was in and there I was getting dressed with the yeah skins on skins on and then put my shorts over the top because no one needs to see uh, the outline the outline no one needs that in the life um we were and running I come it. out and I started getting abused in Danish. Yeah. There I am getting abused in a foreign language for the uh for my attire. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not the ro- the one running with my old boy out, am I? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I getting abused? At least I'm at least I'm half decent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, but, that, but that is what we're talking about, isn't it? And I think when you the the culture. I mean, let's talk about fashion then. Let's obviously we're starting with culture. Let's talk about fashion in sport. I'm obviously known for my fashion. Well, mate, I mean you're you're leading the times. Um, and it's, it's just it's just I mean on fashion, yeah. like people that follow fashion. I actually don't understand it. No, he says because he says sitting here in a tight short arm black t-shirt it's, and uh, Levi jeans sorry it's the training program mate it's, it's a good training program okay this this was large on me before okay yeah. um like people don't make decisions people aren't making decisions oh <laughs> Phil's gesturing at me um people aren't making decisions on whether they think that looks good and whether it actually suits them. Like, you don't 
not everybody has to wear skinny jeans. Like, look at yourself, make a decision and go, does that look good on me? Just because it's in doesn't mean it needs to be on. All right, agreed, Grendad. Cheers, mate. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, we're moving slightly off topic here, but we, we fashion, fashion's the topic that's moved when down. Started, down. I mean, I mean, flat caps, the sort of snapbacks. If you're over thirty or you've got a kid, put them away. Agreed. Like, sorry, mate, your time's gone. You're not fifteen. Put your snap. Put your snap. And you're back. not Jay Z either. And you're not Jay Z. Put it away. I don't want to see it if you're over thirty. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> how do we move forward from there? Well, yeah. um, and we just lost a lot of listeners. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All this, yeah. So, but it is very interesting, isn't it? I think one of the classic ones is hair on legs for men. Yeah. Why would you shave them? Why wouldn't you? Because hair grows on your legs. And why would you put that much effort into shaving your legs? So why does the woman need to do it? Well, we totally, yeah, social acceptance, I suppose, and just habit and culture and just what people do. Yeah. Back to culture, aren't we? Yeah, so... If so you, the culture of cycling... Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's like I'm caught between the two. Is uh, coaching in both sports. I jump on my bike with hair on my leg and I spend the four hours on a bike being abused. I shave my legs and they go into a box and I spend the four hours in the box being abused. It doesn't actually matter where I go, I end up being abused, which, which I actually quite enjoy. Um, but... But it's just, again, the culture of the sport just dictates totally different fashion, totally different acceptance if you're in the club or out of the club based on based on what you wear. Any um, any footballing cultural in sort of nuances which are quite interesting? Anything that was in, in, inside football that was accepted or not accepted or you had to be a part of? I mean, they, they wear those tight tracksuit trousers a little bit, don't they? Yeah, I mean, that... You can't go anywhere without buying them now. I can't buy. I refuse to buy half the track. Well, three quarters, ninety nine percent even of the tracksuit bombs. That is just the fashion right now. Yeah, where it's tight at the bottom. Where it's tight at the bottom. Like they, yeah. in fairness, they were like that back when, back when I was playing every day. But it is functional for playing, like yeah. walking around the streets in it. Yeah, I, I don't get. We're doing sports like, culture, but I mean, I know I've done the same not, thing, but yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But like, like it's crossed over as sportswear, like just walking around in sportswear. Yeah, like I don't. Everything seems to be skin tight at the moment in my skin tight t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? Isn't it? So, so I mean, fashion is it? Fashion, sports fashion is incredible. And I think the thing that fascinates me most is that. Is and I'm not saying they, but it's wrong to say they because I include myself in it. You know, when I was playing pro rugby, I walked around in hot pants, <laughs> like rugby shorts are hot pants. They're, they're, yeah. they're male yeah. hot pants, and we never wore pants under the the shorts, and um, <laughs> and it was flip flops. And it was short shorts. Um, flip-flops or flip-flops? Flip-flops. Flip-flops. Um, and it didn't matter that it was minus 15 outside and snow. We had flip-flops on. We had short rugby shorts on and some kind of rugby shirt or a vest top or, or, or a jacket. And that was it. And we thought we looked brilliant. <laughs> 
like we thought we ruled the world. And I just, it, it's a, I'm, I'm saying it with a smile inside rather than uh, being derogatory. I just, I love it when I see the cyclists measuring their sock lengths, measuring their their lengths of their sleeves and their shorts, making sure they look good, looking at the mirror in tight lycra saying, I look good today. I mean, there's, there's a Danish guy that's written a book about it, about how to look good on a bike. Like, you, you don't look good on a bike, but you're in lycra, John. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and say, you know, you go out on the football pitch and you look at the football guys, they spend time in front of the mirror in football kit before they go out and get money and kick a ball. And, they're in football kit and oh, lads used to do the hair yeah didn't yeah. get it yeah I mean I had hair back then did you it yeah. wasn't particularly good hair you had long hair though didn't you uh, well, was, well longer I think it's relative I okay. never had long hair okay. I still had a five head <laughs> uh, receding, receding hairline <laughs> at 20 yeah so yeah, that paper rounded Beirut didn't serve you well did it oh uh, mate um <laughs> So I think, yeah, and then I think, you know, you're going to the CrossFit world as well and the guys are exactly the same. You know, I think I think somewhere deep down they think they look good. Um, and, you know, shirt and trousers and a smart pair of brown shoes looks good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like like anything in gym kit, sweating. Um, I mean, I used to hate it running marathons or doing Ironman. I used to absolutely hate it when people from the crowd would shout, come on, you're looking good. I'm like, I know the last time I went to the toilet in this suit, I know where I was and I know how much made it out of the suit. <laughs> I've thrown up twice. I've got gel. I've got <laughs> sticky stuff everywhere. I'm sweating. I'm salt marks all over my suit. If there's one, and I know I don't look good on Tuesday morning, you know what I mean? Like when everything's going well. So tell me, carry on. Come on, you can do it or keep going please don't shout at me I look you look good because I know I don't <laughs> and I just think I think it's just incredible how but before the race when I'm standing there and I'm sort of doing my my lycra shorts I, I sort of have this feeling that I look good I don't really do I no no, no. So, so we've established that while you're training and doing sport it's, it's nigh on impossible to look good is there any athletes that pull it off are there any athletes in the world where they they pull off their sporting attire I mean what about tennis there's the sort of Wimbledon white, sort of nice long shorts, polo shirt, socks up, you know, sort of almost public schoolboy look. Do they pull it off? I mean, they could, they could go to a barbecue like it, couldn't they? I mean, if they turned up to a barbecue, to their grand's barbecue on Sunday, dressed like that, people wouldn't, people might say, you go for a game of tennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but they wouldn't look potentially yeah, yeah. out of place. It's the polo they? shirt, isn't it? That's the thing. The polo shirt makes it kind of like, well, yeah, you could be afternoon tea. Yeah, and those shorts could easily be um, rather than sports shorts could easily just be a don't even know what type of short you call it a flannelette shorts or something. Rah rah, oh boy, rah rah, yeah, 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 um, yeah, and they they fit in quite ni- nicely at a tea party, wouldn't they? Yeah. Okay, so tennis pl- tennis players might be the exception. I'm sure everybody's listening, going, "No, you're wrong." But but I mean, the girls. I suppose the girls in tennis. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd want um, the missus or the daughter turned up in that short skirt to a barbecue. Would you? It has changed somewhat, hasn't it, from over the years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't look bad though, do they? 
can't complain. <laughs> but okay, I think potentially you're walking a dangerous path here, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So tennis. Any other sports? Any other sports where you could you could you could take them to? You could go straight from the pitch or the court or the. I mean, golf, chess. <laughs> yeah, chess, golf. Nice pair of slacks, polo shirt. Oh, a bit stiff though, isn't it? It is a bit stiff. It's a bit, I mean, I like my Fred Perry's though. You know, your triangle, your triangle jumpers. You know, your triangle sort of Fred Perry's. No, mate. Yeah. Been there. yeah. I mean, in fairness, if you ask Emma McQuaid, um, Emma McQuaid, I have a sort of a, a one of you, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the sort of di- diamond-shaped sort of Fred Perry jumpers. I have one of them, which Emma McQuaid has often commented how good I look in it. Mate, I won't. It's tough at the top, mate. It is. You can pull it off. It is. I think there should be some... We should have some red pill attire. It should be Fred Perry. Converted <laughs> diamonds. Not Helly Hansen. No, I've never really been a, been a Helly Hansen fan. So, feelers coming back. Feelers coming back into sport or just in general? I think in general. I saw really? it around. And uh, what was Kappa as well? Below me. Kappa's coming back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say something horrific then. I'm glad I didn't. Um, the old rhyme from back in the day. No, I was going to sort of talk about council estates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you started. Yeah. Um, so, what else is there? Let's go over to the train. <laughs> Let's go over to the training side of things. <laughs> and, um, and talk about the culture of training. Yeah, um, I mean, there's many, many things that uh, you know. I think classic one was a was a working with a CrossFit guy who, who contacted me and said, oh, "I'm signed up for my first my first triathlon," um, and you know, it's an endurance event for me. So I said, "Okay, how long? You know, how long's the triathlon?" And he was sort of 400 meter swim, 18 kilometer bike ride, and a four kilometer run. I sort of looked at him and said, well, that's 45 minutes work. That's what we call a sprint. <laughs> yeah. um, for him, he was sort of thinking, how much volume do I need in my training for, for to overcome a, a 45-minute workout where, where, where I would look that's at 45 that. minutes if you're good, right? Yeah, I mean, 45 minutes you're good. Hour is sort of your, your, what you'd want to come under and then anything over that, you'd probably... Who's what you want to come under? Like, as in just general public want to come Yeah, on yeah. I mean, I don't think you, you won't get a professional that goes over 45, 50 minutes on that distance. Yeah. Depending on the route, of course, because if it's got an 18 kilometer mountain in the middle, then there might be some. Yeah, exactly. But on a flat route, yeah, no one's going over 45, 47 minutes for the good guys. Um, yeah, and so and so they're just just essentially had a view endurance versus sprint, and how they define that. This is the culture of the sport. There just says that anything, you know. I think I think it's very on that. It's very interesting that you can put, you can give a cyclist four hours, five hours of riding, and you can give the same training session. Not that we do, but you can give them the same training session four or five days in a row to be working on something specific, which is four hours long, or you can give them that same session on Tuesday four or five weeks in a row. Um, and you won't hear any complaints from them. And then I think if you give them a different program too soon, too often, they'll sort of come back and say, well, why can't we work on the same thing and improve that? Why can't we make that better? And why can't we stay where, where it is? Whereas you give a footballer or a crossfitter 
the same session more than once and therefore sort of instantly well I need more variation I need to do something different I need to change something and that can only be we're not different people that can only derive, derive from from the culture of their sports and no, what they're in used fairness, to in CrossFit obviously the the system is based on variance but that's variance for people that have no yeah they're just doing it for health and wellness and everything like that that is a very good way to do it if we're talking at the top level then some more structure some more repetition less variance yeah is um, I mean people often just want to get a better squat don't they and they're yeah. sort of okay I, w- I want to get a better squat okay then I need you to squat two or three times this week um, and there again it is just back squat if, if, if your back squat is working on even then you'll sort of get that well you know I've now I've back squatted three times this week and I find that even in a recreational crossfitter yeah um, so I think I think that that's a big cultural difference I mean one of the other things is training in rain you know and so some sports you know cricket is well, you know, I've never understood cricket won't walk out in the rain um, and, and the funny thing is yeah okay you can't you can't play cricket in the rain because the, the ball's too wet but you can do drills that in the rain you can do that but if it's raining cricket is going you know, yeah. that's, the, that's the rule where footballers or runners or everything yeah. else you know they'll go through and you know, cyclists if it's snowing they still ride uh, where triathletes if it's minus 15 degrees outside or sorry under 15 degrees outside then they're in on the home trainer and the cyclist won't sit on a home trainer and it's just all these nuances where one sport proves the other sport is is incapable or the other sport says we can't do that and they're limited ultimately by their limited ultimately by their by the culture of what the sport has already told them they can't do or what they can do and I, f- I find it very often because of working in the multitude of sports I've worked with and you sort of say right I want you to do this oh we can't do that why well we don't do that why it's not possible they do it in that sport yeah, yeah but that's because they've got this this and this yeah why don't we do it anyway you know strength training and cycling was a classic example yeah I mean, we, we can't strength train we can't strength train more than once a week because of this 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 and this yeah but they do it in triathlon or they do it in this and when they first start to do it they feel the benefit of it um, and I just wonder it's the same in football yes yeah. it's strength and conditioning is becoming a bigger part of football but and they are doing legs but initially for years it was like <coughs> you basically didn't touch your legs and it was just upper body training which is fairly kind of irrelevant irrelevant yeah. for a footballer um, yeah whereas now they are they are doing legs bit, but still to this day you speak to footballers and they are scared of having having tired legs that is still a big culture within the sport yeah for sure yeah it's interesting isn't it that you've got the sort of sport the maximum output sports the power sports where you really do need to have fresh legs you really need to be able to produce maximum power weight training and strength training I mean sprinters for example 100 meter sprinters are doing a lot of power work in the gym uh, and football is essentially just power power endurance yep um, on that note podcast next podcast isn't it we're going to be doing on football next podcast yeah. with, uh, we've, got football. The, we've got the guys in looking forward to that uh, very very much looking forward to that yeah so so I mean that's it isn't it I think but can that transfer over to life then or does that transfer over to life I mean I, I think from, from a psychology standpoint of course you have a you grow up in a, in a culture with mum and dad and mum and dad mum and dad don't do it on purpose but they sort of have their culture from their mum and dad and then they found this household culture together societal culture and then they 
they put limitations on you as people because because they sort of have their ways and that's the way we do it and it can't be done the other way I mean you and I often pick each other up on it which is quite funny when we see our cultural nuances between us and I'll look at you and say well why can't you do that mate and you do that sort of look where you look at me and you go Mm, yeah because I never have <laughs> and, and it's quite it's quite interesting when you meet people from completely different cultures how if you're open enough how much you can learn from them and how much they can develop you and that's not even that's not even cultural really is it that's literally just how you raised well that's what I'm saying yeah, to yeah. mum and dad yeah, yeah. and so, so one of the huge benefits I've seen from blending sports is having cyclists crossfitters rugby players football players together on a camp is it's very often that what we're asking to do, them to do one of the groups one of the athletes in the group has experienced that within their sport and then they take the lead and they sort of almost show the others that it's possible and it's that once I've seen it's possible it's possible but I don't want to be the first to do it um, and it was a massive there's a massive I mean a massive cultural shift for me with my athletes with <coughs> when um, when the crossfitters and the cyclists met each other for the first time um, there's the strength training attitudes of the cyclists changed dramatically even though as coach I've been talking about it and explaining it and doing it for many years the sort of the real shift came when the guys met each other and on the other side the real shift in endurance ability came for the crossfitters when they met the cyclist guys and they sort of suddenly sitting on the bike for two hours or three hours was real and it was okay and it was possible Um, and and on the other side lifting weights and being fit and bit training that many hours in the gym and, and having a good core and all those sorts of things which, which cyclists also need was was a reality and was okay it just sort of dilutes them and the sports become away from the actual competition the sports become closer and closer together and then they help each other and I think that's how how you can massively use uh, the culture of sport to help yourselves as coaches yeah I mean going on the flip side of that the big there's a big kind of um but it's not it's, in fairness it's not it seems to be one way traffic like there's a lot of Olympic weightlifting coaches that that despair with the programming CrossFit um and like we saw at the Commonwealth Games that how many actual athletes uh were competing from CrossFit at uh, international level um, in weightlifting and the commentary was always then just oh and they're a crossfitter and oh yeah well we're seeing that problem because they're a crossfitter and speaking to the girls that were actually out there and involved with the teams like how negative how negative environment they how negative the environment that they were with their training camps was put towards them. They felt really uncomfortable and they, they really weren't accepted because that they needed to get up in the morning and do cardio and they needed to do the workout still. And they were just looked at as being, as being crazy. And it's kind of one of those looking at it from the outside and going, well, these girls, like for the guys, it's a little bit different. Like there's, there's some serious, yeah, that's a different topic. Um, entirely but like these girls are lifting they're actually your best lifters on your team and you're there like knocking the way that they're training rather than looking at the results and going well hang on a minute what 
what are they doing that's actually helping them versus yeah yeah they're not accepting it whereas they're just pushing away due to that just due to that culture of the sport it's like well this is how it's always been done so for someone to come from left field and be doing it better than us right now um, it's hard for them to accept I think so so what you're touching on there and I think is is exactly the opposites of the two sides um, the side where I've got where actually if you could embrace culture of other sports and go and see what they're doing you could learn it a great deal and get better um, contra blocking out what they're doing ignoring it and, and rubbishing it um, there's a there's an enormous amount to be learned from other sports just in terms of I mean one thing I've taken from from rugby which I, I use in both cycling and CrossFit is the preparation of an athlete, the mindset of an athlete, um, and the sort of winning mentality and the, the mental preparation that 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 you need to have when you're going into a, a collision sport. You know, when you know you're going in to put yourself on the line. Um, you know, I mean, I know you know the surgeries I've had and the breaks I've had and the and stuff. And, and you do need a some might say a, a stupidity, <laughs> but others might say a mental toughness or a mental sort of security to be able to go out knowing that you're putting yourself through what is equivalent to three to four controlled car crashes in a game and just having that mental preparation that I've had from rugby being able to apply that to to CrossFit and cycling has had a huge effect which I would never have done coming from cycling but on the other side of things you know dealing with things like boredom and dealing with things like uh, structural strategies and dealing with things like organisation when you know you need to go out for a ride for for five to six hours um, you you don't just go out for a ride for five to six hours you, food, you, you plan food you plan spare tyres you plan punctures you plan a route you plan water you plan where you're going to re- refill your water bottles and, and it sounds very stupid but you just there's a lot of organisation that goes into a six hour bike ride oil on the chain and taking spare t- tools with you and you know, when I first started cycling, the amount of times that you know you ring and have to be picked up by somebody um, because you've you've failed on your organisation and you failed on your structure, and so just bringing that side back into back into that's where the sort of rugby side could learn because there's some very disorganised and unstructured guys there, but then taking the mental toughness or the understanding of competition, understanding of conflict. Uh, one thing that's, that's that a lot of sports people struggle with is competitive conflict in, in individual sports like triathlon crossfit and cycling they, they, they struggle to have the conflict with the rider next to them they struggle to have the conflict themselves where where i come from we smash each other and if i hit you harder than you hit me it hurts you more than it hurts me and that's how it should be and, and we're, we're very good at conflict we take conflict very very well um and so being able just to, to sort of just share those tools getting these guys in the same room together and going right okay what, what's the challenges of your sport because a challenge of your sport the major challenge of your sport isn't the major challenge of my sport but it is still a challenge in my sport that's for sure so just trying to grab these elements from the different sports and be able to apply them to what, whichever sport we're now discussing it's crucial as a coach and it's crucial as coaches to get out there and see other sports work with other coaches and work with um, um, work with other coaches um, and, and listen to what they're saying listen to what they're doing yeah for sure I mean going on that, <coughs> that organisation point that you touched on there like you see that athletes getting a habit and like like working with footballers and work, having been in football you get very used to what your week looks like you're very used to that yep Monday, Tuesday Wednesdays off 
or light day, Thursday, Friday, play Saturday. Um, and then, and yeah, recover Sunday. And then they have a bad performance. And then all of a sudden they're in training. They're doing a double day. Yeah. And if that's not communicated from the start, like now that extra day becomes like the players like the security of the routine. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't get a good session out of the lads. Like they, they're literally just like, yeah, we got beat yesterday. Yeah. We're not happy about it. We'd planned whatever we'd planned in our lives with our families. And now you've just put that span in the works. Now, yeah, we argued or they're getting paid the money and everything like that. But actually if it was just communicated and organized at the start of the season, start of the week like here's your structure here's your structure and like there is no like if you lose you're in or if you win you're off like, there's no punishment it's just like it's set from the from the off in the organisation of well, this is how we're in we're always in on a Sunday regardless there is no punishment training there is no it's just here's the structure this is what we train like this is how it this is how it is to it to allow the athletes to to um, just get that routine, um, I think I think what you're what you're talking about really is 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 again how sports lose. Yeah, and that's one thing you you notice from sport to sport is is how people lose in sports. Um, and you know, uh, uh, for a for a cyclist, you 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 don't win that often. Um, you you go. They always talk about. Oh, it'd be great to get on the podium. Um, where, in, where in rugby you're very much the winning is everything, and it's it's a conflict and it's a battle, and and we we try to win. I think it's it's improved now and it's more process driven now. But it is there is still a lot more talk of winning in rugby than there is in cycling. Like how cyclists know lose and appreciate the variables of sport is is one of the is one of the most unique things I've worked with in sport to be honest is how they I've often said that you judge an athlete by their ability to lose and it doesn't mean they should be good when I say ability I'm not talking about good or bad I'm just about how they deal with it um, and they're sort of the football side and the, the rugby side could could learn a lot from the triathlon cycling side or the crossfit side the crossfit side also are, are reasonably good at it um, the guys sort of know how to lose um, <coughs> when it's more than, it's not me versus you is it so when it's me versus you one wins one loses yeah precisely in, in, in those sports you've got there's more conflict involved e- e- yeah X amount of people with X amount of variables involved in it yeah um, so yeah it's yeah. just inevitable one person wins but yeah. 39 people lose I think I think the other th- very interesting cultural element of sport which we should discuss is, is cultural injury in sport and how one sport defines injury versus another sport um, you know like yeah like I, I played yeah. I broke my uh, I fractured C5 vertebrae on the Saturday um, and and the we lost the game and we'd won the league the year before and we were bottom of the table and we'd lost four in a row and the coach sort of came in the dressing room and did exactly as you, you're discussing there he kicked the table and if there was fortunately there was no cats in the room um, but he sort of kicked the benches 
accuse us all of being weak, accuse us all of being soft in the head, accuse us all of not training hard enough, faking injuries. And, he's, and I'll never forget his exact words. I'm sitting there and I remember my left arm, was I was in so much pain in my left arm. And I remember him screaming, saying, you're spending too much time with the physios, too much time on that bench, not enough time out in the park. And um, so, of course, my left arm is killing me, but there's absolutely no chance I'm going to see the physio now. Like that's that that option is off the table. So uh, and then he said, "Yeah, tomorrow morning I want you in. You're in, boys. Get here. Make sure you're here by whatever time." So we've got in. Um, he literally just put put a combs out, sort of ten by ten box, and threw a ball in the middle and said, "Beat shit out of each other." Um, and we, as we do, that's what we do best. We beat each other up for best part of an hour, and then we got another good telling to about how we weren't good enough and how we weren't strong enough and mentally we were weak and everything else like that by this point I'm struggling to use my left arm um, and then Tuesday again gym work training the, fit, the fitness coach was a good guy so he, he could see I was struggling he didn't put too much pressure on my body so I just did sort of lower body work and didn't have to use my arm but by Wednesday I wasn't sleeping by Wednesday my left arm was pretty much just hanging by my side um, by by Thursday the team sheet goes up and I'm playing and um, surprisingly enough because I trained terribly that week um, because, can't think why no I can't think why either um, but trained terribly that week and uh, yeah so, so the team sheet goes up and I'm, I'm playing and okay great so I remember the team run on the Friday <laughs> it was just I was literally catching the ball with my right hand and passing my right hand because the left hand had just essentially stopped working at this point um, and I didn't know at the time I'd you know I've got a fractured C5 and did no one see that yeah they did <laughs> but but mate I mean I, I can't I can't blame them no 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 because no. because it was my stubbornness and I they they sort of they sort of said what's up oh I'm fine no problem you know, just made sure I took a little bit more contact and made sure I was on the floor a little bit longer than I needed to be and stood away from getting the ball. Made sure in the team run, you can also, if you're going to make a tackle, you know, I could just move it onto my right shoulder. I was quite good at knowing where, where my body was in space and making sure I was making tackles, just easy tackles, bringing people down on my right. And then the game starting, it was just, you know, get as many painkillers in me as possible and go out there. And I was never never going to, never in a million years going to show, show that weakness because we'd just been told we were weak. Um... And yeah, so got, I remember. I just remember playing, thinking. I remember playing, and one thing I was really good at was tackling. I used to hit people. I used to hit them hard, and it was just a thing I used to enjoy doing. I used to love the. I used to love the sort of nitty gritty and the down on the floor and the scuffles. And it was. It was my nose looks like it looks like for a reason. Um, and um, so it should be smaller. You know, it shouldn't be smaller. It should be straighter. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I uh, I hit this guy as what would have normally been what sort of a quite a crunch tackle, and I just bounced off him. I just had it was just powerless throughout my whole body. I said nothing at all. And uh, half time, I never forget it. Half time, I went over to the coach and said, "Coach, something's wrong." And he just looked at me and he says, "You're fucking right. There is, you know, you know, which is basically uh, my performance is terrible. I mean, performance was terrible. I mean." I- I had no power. I couldn't run. I couldn't keep up with the play. And I just remember being at halftime there. Just <laughs> my mum never came to watch me play rugby ever. Like she from from fourteen, it was too violent. So she, she since I was thirteen years old, she'd never come to watch. And of course, this was the game she'd come to watch. The first game she'd seen in 
seven years, five years or whatever it was. Um, and literally, you know, half time, I literally just passed out. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember much from that point. I just remember waking up in the hospital and they're like, so you've uh, fractured C5, you've got this disc protrusion, you you know, your left arm's shutting down and, you know, we need to get you into surgery and, and fuse you up and fix you up and stabilize it all. Um, and I, I never forget the doctor's face because he was like, right, you're not allowed to move, you're not allowed to go to the toilet, you're not allowed to do anything. And I looked at him, I said, why? And he says, because if you move, you risk, you risk permanent damage and you risk all sorts of issues. And I said, I've been training on it for a week. <laughs> He's for the doctor's face. I never forget the doctor's face. He was like, what do you mean? Because he'd obviously assumed it happened in the game. Because yeah. he he'd just got the information, the player collapsed at half time, uh, you know, brought them in. Yeah, this was this was last Saturday against Sale. And he was sort of... Um, and he sort of he sort of looked up at me and was like, you know, sort of almost speechless in that. And then and then sort of sort of to counter that story, and that's my attitude towards injury, and that's how I've sort of been indoctrinated through rugby. I'm not saying it's sensible. I'm not saying it's clever. I'm not saying it's. Uh, I'm not trying to say I'm brave. I'm just, this is, is, is stupidity at its highest form. Um, but what's interesting about it is that. That that's how that's how, and I know times are changing in rugby now. They're doing they're doing a lot more to help the athletes. But uh, when you flip that over to football, for example, yeah, um, and and others and other sports, there, I mean, the culture is they're supposed to feel fresh. Yeah, pretty much. Like they feel anything, they feel a niggle, it's scanned. Yeah, like everything is. Yeah, everything. Any slight imperfection is is um is dealt with so there are a lot of the lads who aren't actually reporting uh as niggles uh, initially they try and try and hold on to them for a, try and hold on to them for train without train with them yeah so to speak but yeah things uh they definitely do worry about the bodies a lot and uh, that is coming across from coming across in their um in their approaches and worries um, for sure yeah I think it's very interesting so you've got two sides of the spectrum there haven't you? you've got sort of my story there of of we're not allowed we're trading through pain because we don't want to show we're weak um, and the other side on the football side is they're trading through pain because they know they'll get found out um, they're not. It's not anything to do weakness. It's not a psychological pressure. It is to a certain degree, but it's not. It's a different pressure, isn't it? It's yeah. they don't want to. They don't want to mention any kind of pain because they know they'll be scared and they'll know it'll be taken seriously and and then they won't be allowed to do anything at all. But then the flip side of that is, as soon as they feel that pain, like if they felt that pain, reported it, been scanned, it's shown a tear, it's shown an injury. As soon as they get that feeling again they instantly report it because like, oh well it was torn last time so the scanner's backed up that there is some kind of uh, injury to the tissue as soon as that feeling occurs they report everything and this is why you keep seeing the guys with the five times repeated hamstring four times repeated quad tears like because now any any of like their their memory of that pain is is one of uh yeah it's, oh well it was injured when I had this pain last time so it yeah. must be injured again yeah so the culture of football then says that you know any kind of pain is I mean I remember sending a, a marathon runner to a 
it's all about the medical culture of football. I remember sending a marathon runner to uh, a, a top sports doctor. And the marathon runner went to the top, top, top sports doctor with what we would call mild Achilles pain. The Achilles pain was the, the Achilles pain was scanned, and the inflammation was um, the inflammation was um, measured. And you know, this was a football doctor, um, and the football doctor said, you know, in a footballer, you I wouldn't let you play for six months. Um, I wouldn't let you play for play for six months with this uh, with this problem, um, and yet we were running the week after, um, and then we sort of said, "Well, we need a second opinion on this because the information isn't that bad." You know, you, you're functionally moving, you're lunging, you're yeah. fine. You, you know, you've got no problem. It's the second doctor was with more of a more of a normal doctor, a sort of a normal doctor. And then we found a, a triathlon doctor. Went to the triathlon doctor who just laughed and said, "Yeah, it's just mild." mild mild inflammation and you'll be fine and ran the marathon there was no problems and, and again yeah. that's not saying one doctor was worse than another doctor that's just saying that culture from that sport is when you see that that's six weeks out or six months out yeah when you see that let's just carry on playing and that's yeah and that's again the culture of injury within sport um, and I just don't think we've seen um, I don't think we've seen enough data now through through um, CrossFit injuries, for example, to be able to to be able to have these data sets of what's normal and what's what's rest, what's what, what do we rest and what do we train through? Um, there isn't that that data yet. The CrossFit's too new for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on the injury culture, I mean, there's a lot of studies now across the board showing that these symptoms, how many people are um, asymptomatic, so without symptom, yet have structural deformities be that prolapsed discs in the back, um, be that um, cartilage missing, ACL repairs and ACL torn in the knee, um, shoulders. There was an interesting one on like 21-year-old, done on studies on baseball pitchers uh, only at the age of 21, all asymptomatic. Half of them had labral tears, um, like rotator cuff tears, um, previous dislocations, subluxations, like all these people were like pretty much pain. Well, they were pain free with all these structural things showing on imaging, and it, that that is the that is then well the when we scan something and we look at it, like if it's showing as we've got those asymptomatic people, then why are we, why are we worrying necessarily like, well, how can we attribute, how can we attribute the same pain to that structural default, de- that structural observation versus, um, someone who's got the structural problem and no pain. Yeah. Like how can we, if you can't, if you can have that with no pain and then, have pain and see one. How do we know that it, the yeah. pain is that? I mean, that's something we're going to cover a lot in the football podcast, yeah. isn't it? I think that's yeah. something we go into quite a bit of depth on, and then done a little bit of research on. But yeah, completely, completely. Is is? I mean, is it is it a psychological culture of sport? Yeah, you know, do a, can can pain threshold and pain tolerance be trained through 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 culture of sport? And yeah, absolutely, it can. Absolutely, it is. You know, it absolutely is that that one of the. I just did. Uh, I've done quite a few of the the Red Pill seminars in the last last months or so, 
And uh, what was very, very interesting was I was lucky enough to go to a wonderful uh, physiotherapy clinic in, in Iceland. Um, and I hope the guys don't, don't mind me saying this, but but we, was, we were in a th- physiotherapy clinic and they were all sitting down, standing up, laying on the floor, sitting on a ball, put a foam roller on, do some kind of release. They're all sort of twitching in their seats or they've all got a finger in their quad and then a finger in their calf and then they're releasing this and releasing that and they're sitting there talking and they're massaging this and they're massaging that. You know, just sort of mean, because it's the the world they live in and the culture they live in, they're doing that all of the time. Um, And and then you go to uh, um, an office building and you do uh, a seminar on business development for them or you do a seminar on sort of business motivation and they're all sitting in a shirt and tie and none of them are massaging anything or yeah. tweaking anything or anything it's, else. They're just sitting, they're just sitting in the chair with, with a terrible posture, um, legs wide apart and listening and, and just even just, just, just having that and that has a, a huge effect. I mean, we, we talk often about cuddles in, cuddles in our coaching and, the the taping and strapping strategies from sport to sport are very very different and how much they need a tape and a strap how much of the equipment they're using all the sort of uh, what the physio departments are using it's very very different isn't it yeah I mean that culture of of yeah of, of sitting on foam rollers and, and this whole self-releasing this self-releasing thing I, I remember when I was first started working in CrossFit like people were literally getting out of a two-hour car journey and then thinking that they needed to stretch because they'd been two hours in a car four hours in a car or they needed to put a hockey ball somewhere yeah. because sitting down is is killing them yeah and it's like it's that culture of like where like I'm sure like the people that sit at the, like those office workers that don't go and ask a big demand of the body yeah like how many of them are reporting the back pain yeah because they're sitting down and it's killing them versus the people that are trying to do fitness and sit down like those pains are probably because you're pushing your body through things that it can't do not because sitting down is killing you yeah and the, the the standing desk cure for postural problems we're not gonna see any change in in back pains and stuff because ultimately we are efficiency based we are the most efficient being on the planet we find the easiest way of doing anything people are literally going to be stood at a desk and they will literally just sit onto a right leg so unlike stiffness in the hips through sitting down and capsular tightness you're going to have leg length discrepancies due to literally just weight transfers of people sitting on one hip so we're going to see as many problems from sitting down but that that culture is definitely massive in the fitness industry of of yeah or sitting at a desk it's it's shortening your life Um, yeah yeah and and i think one of the also the sort of how hard you're working comes across in 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 different sports like i think one thing I notice is facial expressions in facial expressions in cycling, for example. You're not allowed to show the person next to you's hurting you because you're ultimately you're matching each other's speed. So your body language and you know you're looking all the time. You might you might have another half an hour in this position and you two are just pushing each other as hard as you can and you're not allowed to show him or her that that you're in pain because it motivates them to ride a little bit harder. Where, where you look at CrossFit and I often make a little bit of a joke in the CrossFit world there's lots of arms and the, uh, uh, sort of sort of 
noises and things like that and it's almost like you you want this is a very this is very much the, you want people to know you're working very hard and you're giving your best you know it's very important for have the sort of the facial expressions in crossfit can can are hilarious sometimes and it's very often i'll look and think are you working quite as hard as you're showing as you're working here <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. like um and i think that's quite a that's quite an interesting interesting side of it like i know that i've got a guy here who's sitting at you know 98 heart rate and he's been there for 15 minutes and he's gonna be there for the next 20 keeping a completely stone face and yet you're 35 seconds into a workout and the head's rocking from side to side and the arms the arms are sort of flailing and shouldering and yeah. and, and you're sort of thinking hang on a minute you know oh it's, I mean, it's like martial artists and fighters isn't it like you see the UFC guys doing leg kicks hitting legs think about what like a dead leg in football like you get hit once, you go down, you get treated for five minutes. These guys are, what, north of, well, yeah, 60 kilos and above, anywhere up to over 100 kilos, literally hitting a leg with a sledgehammer. And the guys are just stood there, yeah, like stone-faced, just yeah. like... Yeah, I think to, to say quite nicely is that there's a lot of other sports call your excuse bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the way of saying it. I think yeah. a lot of the excuses I hear as a coach, I'm like, look, I can give you four examples in other sport where they do this every single day. Get on with it. Yeah. You know, um, in, harshly said, but... Um, uh, the, cult, the culture basically instills a belief, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Uh, which then can be so negative to, <laughs> like, their, yeah, the gains that they can be made. Yeah. And uh, things that they're missing out on. Yeah. Good. Well, it was a bit of a light-hearted episode where we just sort of Went from fashion through culture. We went from fashion to culture. Ah, oh, so there is one thing we need to finish off with. And this is this is what my book's gonna be based on. Come on. Um the world's toughest sport or the world's hardest sport. Right. I love asking that question to to athletes because they all it's not it's not even that they think they all think their own sport I actually enjoy the fact that they think their own sport is the toughest like, I think everybody yeah. should think their own sport is the toughest I actually love that it's not that it's that it's not even a consideration that anything else is close yeah it fascinates me I absolutely adore it and I, I adore it because it's it's so naive and so incorrect but at the same time it's so passionate and it's so well meant and it's so it's just a, such a love for their sport um, and a cyclist a cyclist just doesn't believe any other sport suffers as they suffer a crossfitter doesn't believe any other sport in the world suffers as they suffer rugby players I think the only one who only pro, the only sport that probably agrees they're not the toughest in the world is the footballers um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a dig at Jousey. No, but I mean, but there you can argue then they've got the most skillful sport or the professionals that they're under the most pressure and they live under the most pressure and they live with the most expectation and the psychological pressures in football are almost uncomparable um, to other sports. And so wh wherever you sit down and have this discussion, and this is what we call a red wine discussion because it's never going to be an answer. I just love to, I love to look at, I love to look at. I love to ask, look at the athlete, ask them the question, and then watch their response. And it's just not even a. It's not even a. It's almost that they look at me as if I'm stupid for asking. You know why are you even why are you even asking? There is only one sport that's the toughest to deal with, or the sort of global picture, and it's my sport. So many factors into it, though, isn't there? It really is. Like, yeah. If you were to put like, if you were to say one though, like 
it is it we could just we could do that in itself as a follow-on but like just stick your hat somewhere where where comes into your brain the hardest sport in the world yeah and why obviously um, you're not going to get me to commit I don't think you know like just see I, the- I, I do, uh, the guys who fascinate me are tennis players tennis players are the ones that fascinate me the most like it's like the serve like you talk about the pressure in football of a penalty shootout like I see the serve as the pressure of a penalty shootout multiple times in a game and then but that's also extended over a really long period of time especially where you're getting into those five set games that are then becoming for tie breaks and it just keeps going on and on like that but then, like, I know, but then I know I'm talking purely from a mental yeah like this is more than mental from, pressure then, point then, of view I mean like, that's no different to a cricketer who batting who's got to face who's got to face seven eight hundred balls in a, in a day and yeah. do that every single ball I think that is the that is why you can't answer the question because I actually my answer to it is is I think that the human body reaches a capacity point so you have a jug of water and around the outside, you have 17 other jugs which have psychological pressure, skill demand. I mean, darts is practically the highest skill demand. The reason there cannot be any kind of uh, aerobic element to it whatsoever is because there's such a high skill demand. Where all the way at the other end, when you've got just like a, a locked-in machine, indoor cycling, for example, where everything's stationary, that has made perhaps the most, the highest aerobic demand. And everywhere in between, you've got the, if the skill goes up, the threshold will go down. If the threshold goes up, the skill has to go down. And in the middle, you've got where the skill and the thresholds meet each other in those types of sports, uh, again, on a spectrum. But then you also add the psychological pressures of being able to cope with different things. And then you have things like contacting and body awareness and the amount of hours that need to be trained to do that. And, and, and all the sports are training 30, the top level, they're training 30, 35 hours a week on their sport to reach the best they are in this one. I think that's why you can't differentiate between them. You can't say there is one better than the other. That's why I smile. I'm fortunate enough to coach it yeah. in all of these sports that, that they all are unique. And, and this whole podcast has been about the uniqueness of each sport and learning from each sport. That makes that makes me not able to answer. Yeah. I just respect tennis players, mate. If I can, I can see you on a bit, is it because they look good at a barbecue? Yeah, it comes back to the fashion. They probably are the best dressed, aren't they? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you. I'm going to have a little think about who I think the best dressed, um, what the best dressed sport is. Weightlifting. <laughs> Love the suits, eh? Um, I mean, equestrian. Those guys on the horses and the hats. I mean, yeah, ballroom dancing. The tuxedo. Latin, surely. Yeah, I mean the tuxedo. Uh, la- it's got to be Latin, hasn't it? Yeah. Right. That's not even a tuxedo. The, the James Bond. The James Bond. You've got a bit of a Spanish, Latin, Ricky Martin thing going on today. This must be the tight black t-shirt. Could be, mate. Am I tan? Are you a ten? Am I tan? What does that mean? A tan complexion. My colouring. No. For the Latin. No, 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 no. no, no. You're the whitest white man I ever saw. Exactly. Call um, me Uncle Fester. Exactly. Um, good team. Well, we're back with a football podcast coming soon. 
Um, hope you enjoyed this one and uh, look forward to thank you for listening. Look forward to catching up with you soon. Bye.